Our gospel reading this morning is from Mark 11, 1 through 10. And this is Jesus coming into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. The Sunday actually before his resurrection. And so this is a, it's going to be a big week. Uh, Mark 11, verses 1 through 10. But before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. Lord, we thank you for your word, which you have given to us. Lord, we ask that you would help us this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed, to have ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that are ready to be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark 11, 1 through 10. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Turning then to our New Testament reading, Galatians 3, 5 through 9. Paul writes to the church in Galatia. So So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you By the works of the law, or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I've mentioned before, uh, if this last year has taught us anything, it is that we are terrible at predicting the future. There are all kinds of things that we just didn't see coming until they were just right on top of us, right? Who would have thought that 2020 would have gone the way it did, you know, even back in 2018. If you had predicted these are the things that were going to happen, this is what the world is going to be like, no one would have believed you. And that wasn't even, you know, that long ago. Um, but what's fascinating is even though we have lots of evidence of how bad we are at predicting the future, we keep living like we're really good at it. Have you noticed that? 
But think, for example, of uh, that first Palm Sunday when the people are bringing palm branches and they're shouting, Hosanna, (laughs) save us, is what that means. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. They think they can predict the future, can't, don't they? And what is the future they're predicting? They think, here comes the king. This is the one who's going to come in the line of David. This is the one who's going to come as a king like David. This is the one who comes like David to take over Jerusalem and to become the king and to restore Israel, to throw out the Romans and to be... um, the political king that they have been longing for. That's what they're predicting. And they think that this is the moment that it's happening. They think they can predict the future. Were they right? No. No, it turns out uh, he is more the king than they even realized. But because of that, he's a very different king than they expected. And so things later on that week would play out very differently than they anticipated on that day. And you go from Sunday to Friday, that's not that many days. (laughs) And the way that they thought that things were going to go and the way they actually went, very different. And Jesus' disciples were among those who were most confused by the way that week went. They thought they could predict the future too. They thought Jesus was coming into Jerusalem um, in a different way than he was, even though he told them otherwise. Well, going back to uh, Genesis, this is where we've been looking at how things have gone from the beginning. And we have looked at uh, the way everything has started. And we're going to finish up with chapter 11 this week and get into chapter 12. And this is really the transition period in this book. Because everything before chapter 12 really is an introduction to what starts in chapter 12 and goes on from there. And I don't mean it's just the introduction for what goes on from there in the rest of the book of Genesis, though it's certainly that. It's introduction to everything that goes on in the rest of world history. But chapter 12 in Genesis is kind of where we make that transition. Um, Because we start really big picture with the creation of the whole world. Then we look at Adam and Eve for a little bit. And then we go on from there and we're looking more the whole world again. And then we narrow in on Noah for a little bit. And then we kind of widen out. We're looking at the whole world again. And now we're going to narrow in and we're going to look at this guy named Abram. And we're going to look at his family. And in fact, the rest of the book of Genesis is about just his, (laughs) him, and the next two generations. Like that family is the rest of the book. And just focusing on him, the, uh, Genesis spends more time on him than it spends on everything that came before him. And in fact, the rest of, uh, the, rest of the Old Testament is going to be his family history. This, you know, everything else has been leading up to this. Um, and one of the reasons why is because as we've been going through all the rest of it, we have seen God's Uh, desire to be in relationship with his people, to bless all of creation, for people to represent him in all of creation, to reflect him 
And what we've seen again and again and again is the failure of humanity to live up to what they have been created to be. And so we have seen again and again, uh, instead of blessing, there have come cursings. And so we're at the point of, last week we just looked at the Tower of Babylon. Uh, Yes, we're familiar with Babel. It's Babylon. (laughs) Um, We looked at this tower and the way in which what people were trying to do is make their own name great. Turning away from God, doing things their own way. Same thing, back to the Garden of Eden. And once again, we have the same kind of result with a having to go out, being scattered, and um, we see a brokenness among relationships of people. And so at this point in the story, we start wondering, is there any hope? What could the future possibly be like? Could there possibly be a way of salvation? Not just a way of being saved, for example, like with Noah and uh, his family being saved from the flood. Not just being saved from the penalty of uh, the sinfulness and the wickedness. But is there a way to actually be saved from sin itself? That clings so closely to us. Is there a way to be saved from ourselves? And at this point in the story doesn't look good. But here we go. And this is what the rest of the story is going to be about. Uh, Genesis 11, starting in verse 27 and going through 12, 9. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. All right. Telling you this is where everything changes. You have um, 
in Genesis 11, what we just looked at last week, is the, the Tower of Babylon. People trying to make a name for themselves and God scattering them. And then we had a big genealogy connecting that story to the whole story of what's going on. And this is where we begin again, but this time it's not so much connecting everybody to all the family past, but we're now focusing in on a family. And I find it fascinating that we're actually, the family we start to focus in on is Terah's family. Did you notice that? We don't start with Abram, we start with Terah. I think that's weird. And I mentioned last week that uh, one of the things going on here, we have uh, Adam had three sons, Cain, Abel, and Seth. Noah has three sons, um, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then Terah has three sons. That's Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And it's almost like the whole story has set us up for, okay, Terah, he's going to be the one. This is going to be the one uh, that God is going to be dealing with and working with uh, for the next period in history. And I wonder if there may have been something to that, because did you notice that it says that uh, while they're living in Ur? Let's go ahead and bring the map up here, Andrew. Oh, that's practically invisible. Enjoy. How very disappointing. Um, (laughs) Yeah, if you could get the lights, that might help. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Can you see that at all? Yeah, try it. Just cut all of them. All right. Now, you may not be able to see the map or me, but whatever. This is kind of that Middle East area. You have uh, the Mediterranean Sea on that side, and then you have this whole Arabian desert, and then on the other side, uh, towards the east, is where you have Babel, uh, Babylon, and it's also where you have Ur. And this is where Terah is coming from, and did you hear where it said that he's going to? So that Terah set out, uh, let's see, this is verse 31. It's, it's hard to read with no light. It says they set out, <laughs> together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. And this is what will become known as the promised land when God promises it to Abram and to his family. At this point, though, that's not the case. And yet, for some reason, this is where Terah sets out with his family to go to why? We don't know. <laughs> there are lots of reasons you might have a whole family move uh, from one part of the world to another. But I wonder if this is, uh, is something that was going on between God and Terah. And Terah bails halfway. Because of the way that this is uh, written where it says, they set out from Ur the Chaldeans to go to Canaan, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. Almost as though God had started with Terah and said, go to Canaan. And he's like, sure, I'll go. And then he gets to Iran and is like, nah, this is good enough. I can't prove that. I don't know that's the case. But how often have we seen this in our own lives or in the lives of uh, those that we know who it seems like God has said, hey, come, follow me. And we go, eh, 
partway. And then we go, you know what? This is good enough. I'm, I don't need to follow you any further. This is fine. And it's that kind of thing that makes me, again, wonder if this may be what's going on with Terah. The three sons, the going, setting out for Canaan, but stopping short. But God's not finished. In fact, who he calls, oh, I meant to actually show the map. So go ahead, Andrew, show us where this is as we go. There we go. You can see that, right? This is going from Ur up to Haran. And you're like, well, that's, you're going the wrong way, man. <laughs> you should be going straight uh, west to get to Canaan, except that that's a huge desert. You don't want to go across there. <laughs> and so you follow the river. Then you go all the way up uh, to Haran. And there's part of that that goes, well, maybe that's why you stop in Haran. Look, I've already gone, gone a long way. And this is fine. But then God comes to Abram and says, uh, says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. He didn't even tell him where it is. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and so then they go. Let's see the next on down right there. So now he's in Canaan. And it talks about where all he travels while he's there. As far as the site of the great tree of Morah. You all know the great tree. And um, <laughs> I just love that great tree shows up quite a bit. And you're just like, I would like to see that tree. Anyway, the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And we remember the Canaanites. Remember the Canaanites uh, from the story we looked at it several weeks ago with uh, Noah and his sons and Ham and his son Canaan. And Noah had said, you know, cursed be Canaan, right? Well, now Abram is living in the midst of that people. How's that going to go? And, uh, and it's in the midst of this that God makes several promises to Abram. Uh, go ahead and hit one more because he goes down right there and builds another altar and um, and that's all the map you need. Okay, we can take that off and you can hit the lights again. Thank you. All right, I appreciate that. So that's the, that's the geography, so hopefully you have that uh, in your mind and it's important to have that kind of geography in your mind because those places will show up again later in the story and it's really helpful to have those um, kind of points as landmarks in your brain. But there are several promises that God makes to Abram here. And, uh, and I don't know about you, but for me, when I read this, I used to read it and think that when Abram hears this, and God says, hey, I'm going to do these things, that Abram's like, great. Let's do it. And now I read it and I'm like, why was Abram okay with this? What assurances does he have that any of this is actually going to happen? If you look at it from, a, from an earthly perspective, Abram's going to go to some place that's already full of people. And then God is like, oh, this land is going to be your land. 
but not just your land. This is going to be the land of your descendants. And Abram's like, "Mm, no kids. In fact, that's one of the ways we were introduced to Abram is in verse 30 when it tells us that he's uh, married to Sarai. Then it says, verse 30, now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. And then it says when he sets out for uh, Canaan, he's 75 years old. He's 75 years old. His wife cannot have children. And then God says, oh, I'm going to give this land that's already inhabited by other people to your children, which you don't have. Strike anybody as odd? I don't read this anymore and go, oh, yeah, great. Sounds good. (laughs) But like, what must Abram have been thinking? How is this going to come about? How could this, when we talk about, you know, predicting the future, and as you kind of look down the road and think of what things are going to be like, or likely to be like, as Abram is looking at his future, kids aren't a part of that future. That's over. And not only that, but then going to this land that's already full of other people, that doesn't make any sense. And so Abram, yeah, maybe I'll get to live here among these other people. But, you know. And yet, that's not his response. For some reason, the way that Abram responds to God is God makes these seemingly bizarre, crazy promises. Like, there's no way that this can happen. And Abram does respond by taking God at his word and saying, all right, if you say that's how it's going to be, then that's how it's going to be. And I think a big part of that is because Abram believes that God can predict the future in a way that we can't. And so if God says, this is what the future will be like, well, who's in a better position to know that, him or me? Probably him. So even though I don't see how it works out, there you go. And so we see things like uh, verse 7, in chapter 12, verse 7, where it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. How bizarre. He has no offspring. It's already full of other people. To your offspring I will give this land. And the response? So he built an altar. All right. Let's do this. And he goes on in uh, continue places, continues to build altars, kind of putting in these uh, initial footholds in the land. Markers of the promise that God has made that one day this will be the case. Now, as you follow the story forward, we find out it doesn't happen next week for him. It doesn't happen in the next month or the next year or the next 20 years. In fact, when Abram dies, the only part of the land that he possesses at all 
is the cave where his wife is buried. That's it. And yet, God is faithful to his promises, to your offspring, I will give this land. And as you continue the story, you see that that is exactly what happens. Just on a time schedule that is very different (laughs) than how we generally operate. Speaking of which, you go back to the initial call of Abram in chapter 12, uh, the first three verses, which says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We've been wondering what's going to win out as we get to this point in the book. Is it going to be the sinfulness of humanity leading to just a cursed creation? Or is it going to be the greatness of God leading to a blessed creation? And it's here that we find the answer. The blessing will win out. And that the way that it's going to happen is not the way that the people had been trying to do on their own as we saw with the Tower of Babylon. But instead, it is God picking this person working individually with this person and saying, it is through you that this is going to happen. I'm going to bless you. You are going to be a blessing. And in fact, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. These are some big promises. (laughs) It almost seems like uh, the promise of I will make you into a great nation. That seems pretty big in and of itself. But that's nothing compared to I will bless all the nations on earth or all the peoples on earth through you, right? And it's this kind of thing. The, the smallness of of our thinking versus the greatness of our God. That was the problem at Palm Sunday. What people were looking for was a king for Jerusalem and the surrounding area. What God had in mind is a king over all creation. I wonder if this is why Terah stopped in Haran. If he was thinking too small and God had brought him this far and he said, it's good enough. Even though there was so much more to come through this family. When we look at what it means for all the nations 
to be blessed through Abram. At this point, Abram still has no kids. But we know it's going to be one of his descendants somehow. When you flip over to the New Testament, the book of Matthew begins, verse 1, this way. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abram will get his name changed to Abraham here after a while. But this is it. That the promises made thousands of years before Jesus is born come to fulfillment in Jesus. That it is through Jesus, a descendant of Abram, that all the nations, all the people of the peoples of the world will be blessed. In Galatians 3, which we just read, it says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel, the good news, announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. God did not come down on the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babylon, because of the things that people had done and the works that they had accomplished. Instead, he came first to a man named Abram and said, I will make your name great. Do you know the names of any of the people who built the Tower in Babylon? Do you know the name of Abraham? God says, I will make your name great. And he did. He says, I will bless you. And he did. I will make you into a great nation, he says. And he did. You will be a blessing. And he was. I will bless those who bless you. He did. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And he did. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we are. We are terrible at predicting the future. But God knows what he's talking about. And the reason that Abram is kind of his father of faith is because he believes that God knows what he's talking about. And he takes him at his word. And when God says, you are going to be a blessing, all right then. I'm going to make you a great nation? All right then. Now when we look at ourselves, we're not Abraham. And yet, we are those who have been blessed through Abraham. That it is through the descendants of Abraham that we get to Jesus. It is through the descendants of Abraham that we get to Jesus, who is the one who not only provides salvation from the penalties of sin, but as we were saying earlier, he's the one who provides salvation from sin itself, who saves us even from ourselves. 
The people on Palm Sunday were crying out, Hosanna, which means save us, and they didn't even have any idea. They meant save us from the Romans. But Jesus came to save them from something much bigger. We are those who have received this blessing. I mentioned last week that we have words today that we don't agree on basic vocabulary kind of thing. Blessing is one that's very confusing for people. And partly because in the Bible, it's used in different ways. Sometimes it means to accumulate material possessions. And that is pretty much how we tend to take it today. However, most of the time throughout the Bible, it is used differently. Sometimes together with that, but usually having to do with what it means to have a relationship with God. That is to be blessed. To have the peace and the joy that fill our lives because of that relationship. If you look at Matthew chapter 5, this is the way that Jesus opens his Sermon on the Mount. And it's not blessed are those who have lots of stuff. But he talks about those who are really those who have a relationship with God. And so he's able to say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you hear this? It's not about material possessions, is it? But it's what comes out of this relationship with God that we have through Christ. And then in Ephesians, Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You can read the rest of the letter about that. We are those who have been blessed in a different way than Abraham. But we are those who have been blessed through the promises made to Abraham that have come to fulfillment in Jesus. But like Abraham, Abraham was not blessed to be an end unto itself, but blessed to be a blessing to others. Read through the rest of the New Testament. We are those who have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. But they're to be a blessing to others. Now, I'm not good at predicting the future. Not any better at it than anybody else. But I recognize that. And it's why, uh, as I've told you before, one of my constant prayers is, Lord, I don't know what's coming next, but you do. So prepare me now for what is to come. If we continue to walk with God in these ways, continue to pray that we would be a blessing to those around us, not knowing who we will meet this week, 
but asking that God would prepare us now to be able to be a blessing to those we meet this week. We'll continue to walk with him and to walk by faith in him. And so be a blessing. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for the ways that you continue to work with us, calling us to walk with you in everything. God, we thank you most of all for the salvation you provide in Jesus. Lord, we know our our thoughts are not your thoughts and our ways are not your ways. Lord, help us to trust you. Lord, help us to be those who experience the blessings that you have provided for us in Christ. Lord, help us to be those who are a blessing to those around us. Or not that our names would be great, but that your name would be great. This we pray in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and power and the glory forever. Amen.